Good evening, everyone. Uh, before we begin, I'd like to personally say thank you to Pastor Jim and um, the rest at Quinton Road Bible Church. You folks have been amazing. Uh, somebody from Hawaii. Anybody in here ever see the movie Lilo and Stitch? So the whole point of Lilo and Stitch, right, is Ohana means family and family means that's right. Nobody gets left behind. And um, you folks have been amazing in making sure that April and I have not been left behind. What I mean by that is you've not only offered us lodging, you've offered, uh, Pastor Jim invited us over for a meal on a Sunday and, and we've got to participate with you. And we have not stepped foot in this building without warm faces and, and generous uh, words. And so I just wanted to say thank you so much for including us as part of your ohana. Um, we are with reasons for hope and sometimes a picture's worth a thousand words explaining what our ministry is about. So before we get started, let's take a look at a few thousand words. Hey, Christian, you're a bigot. Why can't you just let people love who they want to love, huh? Do you realize that it's your beliefs that are causing people so much pain? You're a fool. I mean, show me your God. Where did he come from? Who made him? Ever heard of something called science? And if he's so good, why all the evil, the rape, the murder, the genocide? Oh, you don't know, do you? Oh, there you go. You're, you're going to quote me some old English from a book that you don't even understand. Do you know how many contradictions are in the Bible? Do you really think it hasn't changed over the years? It's a man-made book. Explain to me cavemen, dinosaurs, evolution. Explain to me how all the races of the world came from just two people. And, oh yeah, there you go. You're telling me that you figured out the meaning of life at your age. Come on, give me one good reason why I should believe what you believe. It is our desire at Reasons for Hope to be able to give people reasons for the hope that is in us, in the person of Jesus. We use an asterisk as our symbol because an asterisk represents something that is left out of the conversation. We believe a lot of time people talk about Christian things, but Jesus is left out of the conversation. And so we want to reintroduce not only who he is, but what he has declared in his word. Um, tonight, what we're going to be doing is trying to debunk some of the ideas that scientists give us. But I want to greet you folks officially where I am from. And I do that by giving you a warm aloha. And you folks would say, that was the weakest aloha I have ever heard. I'm going to try that again. Aloha. Little more robust. I like it. We're going to be talking about how some people will say, well, the earth is nothing more than the result of a cosmic accident. That we are all here by chance and it's all random. And we're going to start with one of our debunked videos. This is number 15 in our series called Evolution is a Fact Debunked. Let's take a listen. Matter to man, protein to purpose, accident to president, and poo-poo to pawpaw. Welcome to the evolution revolution, my stardust siblings. It's all the rage, you know. Profs at prestigious universities, top-notch high school teachers, and all kinds of scientists the world over insist that evolution is a bona fide fact. But is it? Well, we're going to gander at the biggie and take it on mano a mano. How, you ask? With math. <laughs> 
But before I jump into my speedy soliloquy, when I say evolution, I'm talking about mindless and undirected forces arranging already existing atoms over lots of time, eventually and ultimately producing all the life we see around us. Now, back to math and a little bit of chemistry. But don't worry, you don't need to know much to knock down this fallaciously feeble, finicky, and faulty Frankensteinian fable foisted fervently from fanciful figures framing fakery for Faustian fame. No, 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 no. And uh, here we go. This is a protein the basic building block of life. A protein is made up of a chain of amino acids that bond together in a specific sequence. When it comes to living things, though, not just any amino acid will do and not just any sequence will work. First, of the roughly 300 amino acids we know of, only about 20 are useful for life. Second, these amino acids must be arranged in a very rare sequence to form the right kind of protein useful to build a living cell. So, you got the basics, let's do the math. What are the odds that an undirected, mindless process like evolution could produce just one single protein molecule fit for life? Let's keep it simple. The size of a protein with a stable structure called a fold ranges between about 75 and 30,000 amino acids. Let's just take a small number like 150. Fair enough? Great. So, if each amino acid in the chain of 150 has roughly 20 possible variations, that would mean a life-permitting protein forming by chance would be 20 to the 150th. Now, you reduce that down, pass it around, you get 10 to the 195th on the wall. That's a 1 with 195 zeros after it, just in case you didn't know. But there are other rare sequences that can work, and we would have to factor that into the equation. But I'll be honest, I just don't want to do that. Thankfully, Doug Axe, a molecular biologist, has, and he found that the odds of a relatively short protein to properly function are less than 1 in 10 to the 77th, which is true for a large number of proteins. So that's a 1 with 77 zeros. Now you throw the peptide and the left-handed amino acid problems in there, you get something close to 10 to the 164th. Now, keep in mind that scientists define the occurrence of anything with less than 1 in 10 to the 50th as absurd. But we're way beyond absurd here. Allow me to paint a visual. It would be like traveling the universe in an accidentally manufactured spacecraft, stopping on a whim, then reaching out blindfolded into a sea of 10 to the 80th different colored atoms and retrieving the only red one. All this, mind you, just to get one protein. And you need roughly 300 to form the simplest living cell we know of. But the point is this. can't get a protein, you can't get a cell, and you can't get a life. That's just, well, life. So deal with it. But at least be honest with me, you wouldn't bet on the next hand after your opponent dealt himself a royal flush, would you? And that's far more likely to happen than our protein problem. So please, don't bet something more precious on an absurdity. And that's all I got for now. But rest assured, this chucklesome notion that blind, undirected processes can produce even a single protein, let alone life, has been, dare I say, mathematically anyway, debunked. Adios. How many of you like it? We have actually 20... We have 23 of these debunked videos. All are available on our app and on our website. And if you'd like to know how to get more information on Reasons for Hope, I'm going to share with you how to do that right now. If you have a smartphone, you can use that or you can jot this down. Uh, what you would do is you would send a text and you would open whatever texting app you have and you would send a text to 51555. That is a number that you would text. And the message that you would text is adios space Frank. Adios is the punchline at the end of all of our debunked videos. Frank is who you heard it from, myself. And so by texting 51555, adios space Frank, you send that text message and you will get a link back pretty quickly. Once you get the link back, you fill in whatever information you would 
like us to have of you. Uh, what we like to do is we like to invest heavily where our resources are being wanted and used. And so that's partially why we uh, use emails and phone numbers for that way to make sure that we can invest in the communities that desire us to invest in them. But once you go ahead and click I'm in with that information, you will get information on how to debunk, uh, uh, how to download all of our debunk videos, all our app, our get to our website and so forth and so on. And we would encourage you to do that. Check it out. Ton, uh, tons of free information on there that is available and our desire is for you to be blessed. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the creator and the little blue dot that he created. Uh, there is a serious battle between scientific worldviews of evolution and creation. And in order to understand this, we need to understand the difference between historical science and observational science. I would argue that historical science is nothing more than religion with the word science involved. You believe it by faith. There is no real evidence on origins outside of what God has spoken. Observational science is good science. That's what my degree is in as a science educator. You hypothesize, you teach, you, you study, and, 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 and you try experiments and the things that work you, you replicate and the things that don't work, you try again. That's good science. We should all be wanting to do that. The problem is that Darwinian evolution, by and large, is historical science. And what they want us to believe is that nothing produced everything. That non-life produced life. Randomness produced fine-tuning. Chaos produced information. Unconsciousness produced consciousness. And non-reason produced reason. This is not what the scientific evidence shows us whatsoever. Anybody know who this man is? His name is Dr. Michael Behe. He wrote a book in 1996 that blew the lid off the scientific community called Darwin's Black Box. Within it, he coined a term that has become popular and it's called irreducible complexity. The idea is that when we look at living organisms, we see that things are irreducibly complex. He studied the bacteria flagellum. And by studying this particular uh, living uh, uh, bacteria, what he noticed was that there had to be 40 distinct parts in order for it to work. If there were less than 40, it ceased to be alive. And not only did the parts have to all be there, they had to be formed in the right order. And so what he said by looking through the electron microscope and, and seeing this organism is that ultimately there's no way that bottom-up building of evolution could happen that it became impossible how did it get from 39 in which it was dead to 40 in which it was alive let alone from 36 to 37 or from four to five how did that happen by accident uh i'm a simple guy so i like to explain things a simple way it's kind of like a rat trap if you have a rat trap, you have five main parts that you need the hammer the catch the spring the platform and the hold bar take away any one of these and it ceases to be a rat trap and function how it was designed to function. In other words, you can only get something from something. So the question is, how did that first something come into existence? This is where we enter Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This word for create here is bara in the Hebrew. We cannot bara. Humans can asa, 
a different Hebrew word. In other words, God can create something out of nothing. We can only create something out of something. Anybody in here ever make a paper airplane? So the first thing you need to be able to make a paper airplane is paper. If anybody can make a paper airplane out of nothing, I would love to talk to you afterwards. Uh, because we can become pretty popular. But the idea is that we need something to create something. All living organisms do. God doesn't need anything to create. But what we have seen scientifically is that whatever exists has to have a cause. And that cause is the Lord himself. Because in order for our planet, our solar system, our galaxy, the universe to operate, there are many forces at work that are pre-planned and organized and orchestrated by God himself. Just some of the things necessary for us to have life as we know it on our planet. We need a solar system, a non-gaseous terrestrial planet. A planet must be the right distance from the sun. Must be at the right place in the galaxy. Must have a moon with enough mass to stabilize planetary tilt. Gravity to hold it all together. Plate tectonics, oxygen-rich atmosphere. Water that can remain in a liquid state energy from the sun, and nutrients for life to feed on. These are just 11 of the more than 30 that we need to be able to have life and the way we know it on this planet. If we want to see all of this in action, I would recommend memorizing this verse. This is Isaiah 45, 18. And if we want a verse for what tonight is all about, this is it. For thus says the Lord. In other words, God has spoken this. Man did not come up with this idea. Who created the heavens. He wants us to know. And he's spoken that he has created it. Who is God. Who formed the earth. And made it. Who has established it. And look at what it says next. Who did not create it in vain. In other words. This earth is not an accident. He formed it for a specific reason. And then he tells us the reason. To be inhabited. And as we look at this earth. And it's inhabitation, we should come to the conclusion that he is the Lord and there is no other. Amen? That that, that should be something that should be on the forefront uh, of all of our minds as we look at the world around us. So what are some of the things that we can observe? Well, our universe is actually extremely vast. Apollo astronauts were traveling at the speed of a bullet, somewhere between four and 5,000 feet per second. And yet it took them over three days to reach the moon. And yet that's close when compared to another, uh, our nearest uh, body, which uh, star, which is the sun, which is over four times farther than, uh, sorry, 400 times farther than the distance it is for us to get to the moon. I, I, you didn't know I was going to quiz you this evening, but I want to see who paid attention during elementary school's science. Is there anyone in here who can name all of the planets in order from the sun outward? Anybody who wants to take a stab at that? Too many hands went up. In the back. What was your name, sir? Rich, Rich, can you do me a favor? Go ahead and give it a shot, name it. So starting from the planet closest to the sun, working our way outward in our solar system. Rich, go. Uh, 
uh, actually starts with an S, rhymes with Adern. Yes. Okay, so here we go. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and sadly, Pluto is no longer considered a planet. Yeah, bummers, yeah. So when, when we were in elementary school, how many of you ever remembered the sentence, my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas? Anybody ever learned that? So, so that's an acronym to help you remember the names of the planets in order. My very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. Once Pluto got removed, just served us nine, didn't quite fit. And so they changed it to my very educated mother just served us noodles. So if you can remember that sentence, you can remember all the planets uh, in our solar system. And I gave you that one for free. Uh, how many of you remember this story? The story of the three little bears. The point of this story was that the porridge was not too hot and not too cold. And if you're sharing it with a youngster, it was just right. And you got to drag that out a little bit. Uh, the nickname that they gave for the position of the earth in our solar system is we are in the Goldilocks zone. We are in a position that is not too hot, not too cold, but just right. In fact, my wife and I have been to some pretty hot places, Sedona, Arizona, 117 degrees. That was pretty hot. And then we've also been to Hurricane Ridge in Washington state. That was pretty cold. And actually that's nothing compared to where I spent a couple weeks in February. My wife is from Minnesota. Yeah. And I'm from Hawaii. And so I had to snow blow the driveway in negative 26 degrees. And it's kind of humorous because when my wife first took me back, when we first got married and she brought me home to Minnesota she, to meet her family, uh, she did it during the winter time, which I thought was cruel, but she did it. And, and I, I told her, just so we're clear, we're never living here. And I'm sure God laughed out loud when, when I said that, because here we are on our downtime living there. Um, the average temperature on Venus is 864 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's just one planet closer to the sun. The average temperature on Mars is a negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's on the sunny side. On the shady side, it's negative 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And nothing grows on either of these two planets because of their proximity to the sun. The average temperature on Earth, 60 degrees. And yes, I took this picture of myself 20 minutes from my house, with my own phone, 20 minutes from my house. There are places that are absolutely amazing, and the earth is one of them. 60 degrees Fahrenheit average temperature. If you want the scientific terminology, we live in what is called the habitable zone. We are at the right distance and the right place in our solar system for life to be sustained on it. Uh, Psalms told us of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands so if God is the creator of the heavens we would expect it to be exactly as it needs to be amen another thing that's very important is the mass of the earth what do we mean by that well the earth's mass need to be the right size uh, if the earth were bigger we would have more gravity, and everything would weigh more. Is that good or bad? Most people will say bad because they want to weigh less. But, but it is bad. 
If the earth were smaller and gravity were less, everything would weigh less. Is that good or bad? Equally as bad. What do we mean? Just take, for instance, if gravity were more, some of the gases that are farther away from the earth would be closer to the earth and they're poisonous and we'd all die. If gravity were less, some of the gases that remain close to the earth would be farther from the earth like oxygen and we would all die. It needs to be exactly the right mass. Another thing amazing about the earth is that it has an invisible magnetic shield. And some people are thinking, well, how do you know that? Well, unlike the moon, we are protected by a magnetic force field around us. How many of you think that kind of sounds like Star Trek type of stuff? Anybody in here into Star Trek? I will pray for you. Uh, I'll pray. I'm into Star Wars uh, because in Star Trek, they analyze things. Star Wars, they just shot it. And, and so I, I'm, I'm into Star Wars and even Chewbacca would agree with me on that statement. But how do we know if it's invisible that the earth has an invisible magnetic shield around it? Because what would be the chances that the one planet that God has created to sustain life has this magnetic force field around it? How do we know it's there? Well, it's kind of like the wind. We can't see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind with other things. Anybody know what this is called? Aurora Borealis. How auroras are formed is when the solar trajectories and particles given off by the sun interact with the magnetosphere, which is this force field around the earth. And we can see this interaction happen. What are the chances that the one planet that has life on it has a force field around it to protect the life that is on it? By random chance accident. No way. Psalm 19, 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. And there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. I would argue all we have to do is get out to someplace quiet enough that we can hear it. This picture that I'm showing you right here is real. This is my wife and I on the island next to the one that we live on, Molokai, because they do not have light pollution. And when you get the pollution out of the way, we can see clearly God's amazing power and glory. Amen? We just have to get away from the rubbish to be able to see it. Another amazing thing the earth has that has been confirmed on no other planet yet is liquid water. Uh, And it's essential for life as we know it. If we were farther from the sun... All the water would freeze like these icebergs and we would die. If we were closer to the sun, all the water would evaporate and it would be like these deserts and we would once again die. An interesting fact is that oceans cover about three quarters of the earth, but we can't drink salt water. So we need something, some system that would be developed so we can use the water that is here. Well, what do you know? We have the desalinization process, evaporation, precipitation, the filtering of water through rocks so that creatures who need water have plenty of it to drink. God has created this planet to not only have life, but to sustain the life it has. And we can rejoice over that. 
Another amazing thing that the earth has are some plants. And there are some that are, that are give me's. Um, anybody know what the picture on the left is of? That is the Redwood Forest, Northern California. If you ever get the opportunity to go, go. It's absolutely amazing. Picture on the right. Anybody know what type of tree that is? Sequoia tree is correct. It is a sequoia tree. And it is, this is the General Sherman. This is the name of this tree. It is the biggest tree by girth anywhere on the planet. To give you an idea of how big it is, you can actually see my wife standing at the bottom of it. It is absolutely massive. Now, Psalms declares that all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. And these trees do give God glory. But I want to focus on a small, most often overlooked plant. It's called the Venus flytrap. Anybody in here ever seen one in real life? If you have, it is from the Carolinas because that's the only place that they grow in the wild naturally. What's interesting about the Venus flytrap, if you look closely, is that it has three trigger hairs on each pad. These are not accidental. These did not happen by chance, especially when we found out, find out what they do. The Venus flytrap is actually pollinated by only three critters. Green sweat bees, checkered beetles, and notch-tip flowered longhorn beetles. These are the only things that pollinate the Venus flytrap. Something interesting. The Venus flytrap will not eat these bugs. But it will eat every other bug. How does it know what bugs help pollinate it and what bugs don't? Another interesting thing, because I told you I talk about those three trigger hairs. When a creature touches one of the trigger hairs, it starts a 20-second timer. If the second trigger hair is touched within the 20 seconds, the plant closes and eats the bug. If the bug does not touch a trigger hair for 21 seconds or longer, the timer starts again. So this little plant has a 20-second timer. It has memory because it knows when one trigger hair has been touched or two. It has no sharp teeth, yet it's a carnivore. It can tell the difference between bugs that help pollinate it and ones that don't and eat those and not eat the ones that help it. You know why? Because God created this little plant so that it would give him glory. Uh, Another thing I'd like to discuss briefly is a bird of the air. Uh, One of my favorite birds is the woodpecker. Um, I In Hawaii, we have no woodpeckers. So I was introduced to this while sitting in a tree trying to hunt. And I honestly thought somebody was doing construction nearby. And and, and because I I had never heard one before. And I said, wow, a woodpecker. And so so I started researching the woodpecker. What's interesting is most birds have three toes out the front, one toe out the back, but the woodpecker actually has two toes out the front and two toes out the back. Well, this would be necessary if you're a bird that holds itself up against vertical trees. Its tail is also spongier than most birds so that it can act as a tripod and hold itself up against a tree. And you would think with all that pecking, he would go home with a headache every night, but he doesn't for several reasons. Number one, he actually has a piece of cartilage that is right in between his beak and his skull that acts as a shock absorber. And his skull bone is the thickest bone per body weight of any creature on the planet. 
That's amazing that the one creature that needs it has it. Well, he loves to drill into trees to get his food. But if you notice when he pecks, every time he pecks, he opens his eyes before he pecks. And as he pecks, he closes his eyes. And scientists have been trying to figure out why that was. Some have argued in the past, well, maybe it's to keep the dust out of his eyes. But they discovered that's actually not true. The reason that he closes his eyes is because he pecks with such force. If he didn't close them, he would blow his eyes out of his head. So if evolution were true, first woodpecker, wow, I'm a woodpecker. And he comes along by accident. I think I'll peck. And he pecks one time, eyes fly out of his skull. He dies end of woodpeckers. That should be the evolutionary model, but that's not what we see at all. Because God has created this bird with what he needs. Amen? To further that, most birds' tongues go to the edge of their beak. A woodpecker's tongue goes 10 inches past its beak. And not, and this is not just for the red and white woodpeckers. The green ones have the same tongue. And their tongue on the tip of it actually has a barb system. To be able to stab its own. I'll blow it up so you could see it a little better. What are the chances that the animal that needs it has it? And not only does he have a barb, but the woodpecker has a glue factory in his mouth that gets glue all over his tongue. So when he sticks it into the tree, the bugs stick to his tongue, either by the barb or by the glue. And he's able easily to retrieve his lunch and get it in his mouth. And that would be awesome until he goes to swallow. Because when he swallows the bug, he should also swallow his tongue. But that's not the case. You know why? Because not only does he have a glue factory, at the base of his jaws, he has a solvent factory that dissolves only that glue. What are the chances that the woodpecker has all of these things in order to survive at the same time? This is irreducible complexity in action. And God designed this little bird so that he would give him glory. Let's talk about a beast of the field. Bears. Anybody in here like bears? I kind of do, maybe because I've never seen one up close. Um, bears in North America are some of the most powerful creatures in the world. A grizzly bear can weigh up to 860 pounds. A polar bear, 1,300 pounds. And can run at over 30 miles per hour. We will not avoid this. But that's not the most amazing thing about the polar bear. Polar bear's fur is actually not white. It's clear. It's fiber optic in nature. Here's a a blow-up picture under a microscope of the fur of a polar bear. It acts as a fiber optic to get the sun's light to the skin of the bear. You know why? Because the polar bear's skin is black. So when the hair is able to get the light through to the skin, so clear hair, sun comes through it, hits the dark skin, he can observe the warmth from the sun in a place that he needs it to survive. What are the chances? Going on to other bears, they spend a lot of time foraging for food, fattening themselves up for a long period of sleep called Hibernation is correct. Oh, and it's kind of interesting that bears actually have their young right before going into hibernation, which wouldn't really do well to help the species survive. Imagine if a mom has a baby and come home, comes home and takes a five month nap. That's not good. But the bear does exactly that. 
So how does it survive? If the bear during that nap is no longer eating, no longer drinking, how does it take care of its young? Well, it's pretty interesting. A bear is able to turn every one gram of fat into one and a half grams of hydration for itself so that it is able to hydrate itself and produce milk for its young so that the baby bear is able to survive no problem. In fact, another interesting thing is that the bear doesn't use the bathroom for five months. It doesn't even pee. You know why? Because it has a way to recycle its own urine into hydration for itself. If I could do that, I'd be tempted to never leave the bed. Because bears were created for this. Scientists have no idea how this happens by accident. Another interesting thing is that bears only lose 20% of their muscle strength during the five months of their hibernation. If a human were to sleep for five months, they would lose 90% of their muscle strength. And they wouldn't be able to function. If you talk to somebody in a medical field, people who are bedridden for long periods of time have to learn how to walk all over again. The bear doesn't have to do that because as the bear is hibernating, its muscles are constantly quivering. And so it's getting a full body workout for the entire five months. And so when it comes out of its den, it's able to do everything that a bear needs to do all to the glory of God. You know why? Because God created that bear to give him glory. How do I know that that's why God did it? Because he told us in Job chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, ask the beast and they will teach you and the birds and they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you. And a fish of the sea will explain to you who among all of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. All we need to do is look around and these creatures, as well as the things we can observe on this earth, scream the glory of God. If somebody asks you what you learned tonight in church, well, we kind of talked about the anthropic principle. What do I mean? Statistically, it's improbable, and I would say impossible, to see what we see and think that it has happened by random chance accident. And so because anthropic principle deals with man, I want to end tonight by looking a little bit at man. In case you haven't been told this before, you are amazing. You are special. How do we know? Because God has said so. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And we could spend a whole series of sermons on the Trinity just off this verse. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over every, uh, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. So in other words, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. And it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, only two genders. He created them. And so the idea is that if God has done something, he does it perfect. And so therefore you are not a mistake. I am not a mistake. We are on purpose. Let's not forget that. Therefore, there are many things about mankind that are simply amazing. I just wanted to go through a couple of them. Number one, Genesis 2, 7 says, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. If we look at dirt, that is what we're made out of. 
In fact, Genesis 3.19 also says this. To you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. If we look at scientific textbooks, we see clearly that we have the same base chemical composition as a pile of dirt with some water mixed in. So we're a pretty awesome ball of mud. To validate that, here's a picture of my great-grandfather. We are incredibly designed. Anybody know how many bones in the human body? 206, 206. Anybody know how many muscles? 639 muscles. And did you know that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile? So tomorrow, take a day off and just smile the whole day. Allow your muscles to rest. Your ears are amazing. We have 24,000 hair cells in each ear, which convert vibrations to electrical impulses. And our brain is able to distinguish the different noises that we hear, whether it's somebody saying they love you, whether it's a worship song that draws us into God's presence, whether it's a siren to say, get out of the way. All by electrical impulses and the hair cells that are in our, in our ear. Our eyes are awesome. We have the ability to focus on different things, take light in. Uh, and, and we actually all see upside down, but our brain flips it back around. On a clear night, you can see a candle burning 30 miles away. The farthest thing you can see with your naked eye is actually the Andromeda galaxy. And that is 2.6 million light years away from the earth. Our eyes are amazing. Uh, your digestive system is amazing. Anybody in here like to eat? Good, I'm not the only one. Um, average person consumes three and a half pounds of food every day. So what do we use to chew our food? We use our teeth. And then after we use our teeth, we actually mix it with a liquid in our mouth called saliva. And saliva even sounds gross, but other creatures have it as well. But here's something interesting. You, you, uh, you ready for your minds to be blown? Think about this. You can eat a piece of meat and it will be chewed up, mixed with saliva, washed into your stomach acids, and your stomach will digest that piece of meat. But it will not digest your stomach, which is also a piece of meat. You know, that's the kind of things that keep me up at night. That's just, wow, that's how amazing God is. You can eat a cow's stomach and you'll digest that, but your stomach acid won't digest your stomach. You know why? Because God created you. Imagio Deo. In his image, your heart beats over 100,000 times each day. Your lungs breathe in 24,000 breaths per day. And after God created man, he said that his creation was very good. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. So it was evening and morning on the sixth day. And if I could exemplify something and rant about something for just a couple of seconds, I find it amazing that we as people can spend billions of dollars looking for life on another planet and see a speck and go, maybe that's life. Yet as people, we neglect to see life that's in the mother's womb. We need to be consistent with the science that we believe in. Psalms 139 tells us, That he formed our inward parts. He covered us in our mother's womb. And that we praise him because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our brains weigh about three pounds. It's comprised of 60% fat. It's the fattest organ in your body. Uh, Romans 1.20 though says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, we, mankind, are without excuse. But sadly... 
Man did not want to worship the creator. And so he chose to worship the creation. We read on in Romans, it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened and professing to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Man chose to worship the creature rather than the creator. So I want to bring this full circle. This is Christina. When she was seven, she had half of her brain removed because of a condition that caused constant seizures. Today, she's married, alive and well. She actually works as a speech pathologist with only half a brain. Why bring this up? Why do I want to end here? Because what it validates is that the organic part of us, the brain, is different than the mind or the soul. In fact, J.P. Moreland said it like this. In other words, I am more than just a sum of total physical brain and body parts. Rather, I am a soul and I have a body. I think it was C.S. Lewis who was giving credit for the statement that we are not a body that possesses a soul, but rather we are a soul that temporarily possesses a body. And so we need to see things the way God sees them. And that's why J.P. Moreland said, there's no place in my body where you can say, here I am. My soul is not in the left part of my brain. It's not in my nose. It's not in my lungs. My soul is fully present everywhere through my body. And that's why if I lose part of my body, I don't lose part of my soul. Because there's a war that's raging between our brains, the organic side, and our minds or souls. And just to validate that mind and soul are used interchangeably, Romans chapter 7, Paul speaks of the warring of the law of my mind and he's speaking about his soul. So I just wanted to validate that that's where I'm getting that from. And this is why I wanted to end here. God is not just interested in our bodies, in the material stuff. He's interested in our souls. And that's why when our souls became corrupted, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Not only is Jesus our savior, but he's the creator that we've been talking about all night. John 1, 3, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist. Hebrews 1, tells us the same thing, that through whom he made the worlds. First Corinthians 8, 6 says that the one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live, all of it should bring glory to God. If not, we can be deceived, just like Thomas Huxley. He was a devoted disciple of Charles Darwin, He was a famous biologist, teacher, and author, and he was a defender of the theory of evolution until the day he died. Self-avowed human, humanist, and traveling lecturer. In other words, he was the opposite of me. Doing the same thing, just believed with a different presupposition. After another series of public assaults against truths Christians held sacred, Huxley was in a hurry to catch his train to the next city. And he took one of Dublin's famous horse-drawn taxis and settled back with his eyes closed to rest for a few minutes. And he assumed the driver had been told the destination by the hotel doorman. So all he said was, hurry, I'm almost late, drive fast. And the horses lurched forward and galloped across Dublin at a vigorous pace. 
Before long, Huxley glanced out a little window and frowned as he realized they were going west away from the sun and not toward it. And leaning forward, the scholar shouted, do you know where you're going? And without looking back, the driver yelled a classic line, not meant to be humorous. No, your honor, but I'm driving very fast to get there. I will argue the majority of our scientific community does not know where it's going. And they are driving at breakneck speed to get there. We have the answer. We were created on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring him glory. My desire tonight has been to be like the moon. What do you mean? The moon is another famous big ball of mud, dirt. And we wouldn't even know it was there unless the sun shone upon it. You would have no idea who I am because I'm just a nobody from Hawaii. The same that we all might feel at times that we're nobodies. But God's desire is not to bring glory to us. It's to bring glory to him. So allow him to reflect on you so that we may shine like the moon so that others may see the glory that we reflect is not our own, but it's none other than the son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Check out the app if you get the opportunity. Our book table is full of things, uh, resources. We have curriculums and all kinds of other things out there. But I just wanted to thank you. And once again, uh, sincerely say, April and I have appreciated every moment that we've spent with you. And for the privilege that it is to be a part of your ohana for the past couple of days, may God bless you until we meet again. Aloha.